0: And I'm going to continue our series, stories. Today's focus is a fishtail. It's a parable found in Matthew 13. If you want to flip there, we're going to go there in a minute. But do I have, do I have any uh, fisher people, fishermen or women in here? So So you guys know. What we mean sometimes by when we say a fishtail, you know, oh, I caught one and it was this big. And it's like every time you tell a story, it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Uh, not that I, I mean, don't ask my wife if I've ever been prone to exaggerate something I'm proud of. But we're going to look this morning, um, and it actually just crossed my mind. We're not we're not going to go there. But, you know, we know the story in John 21, where Jesus goes out and tells the disciples they've been out fishing all night and they've like they've just come up with with zero across the board, and and they don't even recognize that it's Jesus. But he hollers out, "Hey, fellas, you know, have you have you caught anything?" And they're like, "No," you know, like we've been struggling all night. This thing's not working. And Jesus says, "Well, why don't you cast your nets on the other side?" And as we know, I mean, they pull it like it it literally tips the boat over. It takes all of them to 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 pull in that harvest. But I can imagine. Again, like for those guys to go back to town, like to tell that story, it probably would have sounded like a fishtail. Like, you know, folks probably maybe would have readily believed exactly what they, they brought in. But I hope we're going to see this morning as we look at another one of Jesus' parables some realities that we can tap into and how we can begin to understand, as we'll read in a moment, that the kingdom of God is like a fishnet. Go ahead and flip with me, if you will, to Matthew 13. Uh, We're going to just do verses 47 to 50. And this will be on the screen for you if you're following along. Now, we're not going to back up. We've touched the other verses prior. I know it starts with or. But in other words, he's been sort of trying to illustrate these kingdom principles with, with different stories. And so he says, or is God's kingdom like a fishnet cast into the sea? catching all kinds of fish. And when it is full, it is hauled onto the beach. And the good fish are picked out and put in a tub, and those unfit to eat are thrown away. That's how it will be when the curtain comes down on history. The angels will come and call the bad fish and throw them in the garbage. There will be a lot of desperate complaining, but it won't do any good. Now, before we dive into that too deep, I also wanted us to stop and think in that same story that I told from John 21. You know, again, for those of us here that, that fish locally, uh, you're probably not fishing with a net to start. And if you are, it's probably not the kind of net that is pictured in this story. Um, if you want to go ahead and throw that picture up, this is the kind of net that we're talking about. Like, it's not, it's not like a little thing on a pole that you just go and skip. Like, this is a, is a massive contraption. It's difficult to cast out, um, and then as we read or t- heard in that story from John twenty one, like when this thing gets full, it, it's it's a it's a process to to pull it all in. And as I was thinking and praying about this, you know, Jesus, what are you? What are some of the things you're trying to say to us through this parable of God's kingdom being like a fishnet? And again, it, it's helpful be- for us to look at the at the context because we realize. The details matter, like this kind of net versus what we might have dreamt up if we didn't have that context. And the first thing that came to mind that I think Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable is that God's kingdom casts a wide net. God's kingdom casts a wide net. In other words, in the same way we illustrated with the harvest story, where we, we saw in, the, in that parable where it talks about a farmer scattering seed. Well, I don't know if we talked about this, but if you think about it, what farmer would cast seed on soil that they can see is clearly not good? They probably wouldn't, right? And it's the same thing when we think about this, this fish net, like going, and, and, and it says in, in the scripture there, it's going to catch the good fish and the bad fish. The ones that are going to make it and be harvested and the ones that are, you know, that's no good, we're going to have to throw it back. I think one of the things Jesus is saying to us is that he's actually willing to be extravagant, to almost be, be reckless. I also think of, of another familiar story where we read uh, about Jesus leaving the 99 to go find the one. Doesn't that seem kind of reckless? To actually lead, but but my point is that I think Jesus is actually willing to be so extravagant that that there might be waste, as we think of the seeds. It's like a farmer knows that when he casts that many seeds, they're not all gonna they're not all gonna find good soil and grow into a harvest. But Jesus is so concerned about getting the ones that he can that he's just spreading seeds everywhere. He's casting a wide net, to bring it back to our, to our fishing analogy. Because as we read last week in John three sixteen, and we're going to go on and read verse 17 here in a few minutes, is that Jesus made it possible that no one would have to be destroyed. Right? Remember that? Go ahead and throw up John three sixteen, and then we're going to go on to 17 here in a second. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And We we sort of broke that down last week, but we underlined it. Anyone means anyone. Jesus is casting a net that's wide enough to catch anyone. Now if we go on to verse 17, it says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. How many of you, when we read that verse there in Matthew 13, where it says that the angels will come and cull the bad fish and throw them in the garbage and there'll be lots of... How many of you got caught up on the negative language there? Oh, that that doesn't sound very good. Why is is Pastor... He could have just left that verse out. (coughs) Do we still often relate to God in a way that we feel like he's, he's like the angry kid with the magnifying glass over the over the anthill? Or, or the, just like the angry dad in the sky that's like ticked off because us kids down here still can't get it together? Do we think of him that way? Well, he's telling us here, I didn't go to all of this trouble, if I can paraphrase this a different way, I didn't set all of this up to reestablish a relationship with you so that I could send my son so he could wag his finger and judge you for all the ways you've messed up. That's not what he did. He said, no, he came to help to put the world right again. And so as the kingdom casts a wide net, and if we can contextualize this for us, as we're joining Jesus's mission to expand the kingdom, we're going to catch all different kinds of things the good, the bad, the ugly, and we need to be willing to let God do the sorting. But we have to cast a wide enough net, because here's the truth of the matter. If we go and, and, and we're trying to, uh, now nobody would do this, but if you're going and you're trying to, oh, you know, that, that fish doesn't look real good. I'm not going to cast, my, I'm going to wait till the good one comes up. Now we could make that case if we were talking about deer hunting. You know, I'm gonna sit and patiently wait for the you know for the that eight-point buck I've been tracking. I, I I could make a case there. But that's not what the kingdom of God is like. It's not just sitting and waiting patiently for for the one prized one to come forward. Oh yes, this friend, I, I know they're they're ready. No. The kingdom says cast a wide net, catch all sorts of things, let God do the sorting, don't judge. We Remember we said when we talked about the soils, don't judge the soil. Well, in this, don't don't judge the fish. Cast a wide enough net that you can catch as many fish as Jesus brings into your net. Okay? All right, so let's move on. I already started touching on this about how God is willing to be extravagant. He set up this plan in such a way that he's willing to go out of his way, to do things that seem unnecessary to us in order to catch the one, in order to partner with us, to plant a seed. And I want you to think of the people in your life. Now, we've done this exercise before where we've had you dial up a name of someone in your life who needs to know Jesus, and and we've talked about the power of praying for them. But I want you to do this a little different this morning, and I want you to think, who is that person in your life that actually seems the least likely to come to Jesus? I'm not talking about the person that's like on the fence and have said, yeah, maybe I'll come to church someday or has has shown positive, but like who is that person in your life that if you were to actually just categorize all the people you know, this person is like the least likely to come to Jesus? Maybe they're even to the point of being antagonistic towards Jesus. Maybe that when you are around them, they say, you know, it's fine, but, let's, but we're not going to talk about religion. You know, it's like it's like a taboo subject because they're actually antagonistic. And Jesus would ask you, are you casting a wide enough net that even that person that to you seems the least likely to respond, it still has the opportunity before them? Now, again, we're not talking about cramming things down people's throat. Or browbeating people with the Bible. I think those are entirely unhelpful tactics that the church has sometimes used. But we're talking about casting a wide enough net so that the opportunity is still there. I could tell you probably a number of stories if we had time of, of folks that would be described like that, that suddenly when they encountered something in their life that was really tragic. Or difficult, all of a sudden they reached out to those few people in their life that said, oh, hey, I know you believe in Jesus. I know we've never talked about it. I, I, I know we, we've never really, you know, delved into that subject. But man, I just, you know, I just lost my wife. Or or some close friend of mine was in, like, whatever the, the thing is, and, and they will come to you and say, you know, would you be willing to pray for me? I just, I just don't know what else to do. Now, that doesn't always happen. But my point is, That's casting a wide net. We're not saying I'm going to disconnect in relationship from you because you're not showing signs that you want to follow Jesus. I actually wonder, and I've told you this before, I've challenged my own self. How many friends do we have that are not believers? Are we building relationships with people that believe and act and look just like us? Or are we casting a wide net? and building relationships with people that look different than us, that think different than us, that believe different. And, and, and I, this is so key. Your motivation matters. So I'm not talking about, again, oh, yeah, that guy over there at work, man, he needs Jesus. So I'm going to be his friend, and I'm going to... I pray the Lord would give you the opportunity, but have relationship with people just for the simple pleasure of having relationships with other humans. But then live your life in such a way that that net is cast, that there is invitation. And as you feel led, and and this is so key, you know the difference between browbeating someone with the gospel versus being there at the right moment? It's listening to the Holy Spirit. Because there will be moments in their lives, there will be cracks, there will be Opportunities, and if you're paying attention, and if you're in a healthy relationship with that person, you'll be there, and you'll see that opportunity. And at that moment, it's like the door gets opened. We we prayed this this morning. It's not original to me, but as we were praying this morning, it had just come to mind um, with the worship team before the service, and it's this picture. So imagine yourself. Sitting here, and we all do this at different levels at different times, but just picture in your mind that you've you've built a wall around yourself. It's a pretty nice brick wall. And the prayer is, and, and you can use this for, for people, the prayer is you can ask the person, would you be willing to just take one brick out of that wall and just let Jesus in? See, See, oftentimes... We, we, we want people to go from zero to 60 in two seconds. We want them to go from antagonistic to the gospel to, you know, all, all, all the way in. It doesn't often happen like that. But if we can invite people to, to take a brick out of the wall that they've built around themselves, and even just that little crack, Jesus can work with that. Jesus can work with that, and he can use you to use that opening to, again, plant seeds of the kingdom. Okay. We, we talk sometimes about inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of others. Like that's just kind of unfortunately, I know we don't like it, it's kind of like implicit in our call. As that following Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit inviting people into the kingdom means sometimes I'm going to be asked by Him or I'm going to find myself in situations that are inconvenient to me, that don't Uh, match what i have planned in my calendar or what i want to do at the moment but if i'm willing to follow jesus i'm willing to listen to what he's doing i'm going to find myself in those situations where i have those opportunities and i have found again the more we do that the more we're going to have opportunities to actually have the fun of seeing people take those steps And again, I I don't really know how to illustrate this other than just encourage you that if you haven't had the experience of being even just a small part of somebody else's journey in taking steps towards Jesus, I want you to ask him if you could have that opportunity this week because I'm here to tell you, friends, there is nothing more fun than seeing people take life-giving steps towards Jesus and you being able to have a part in that you being able to partner with King Jesus to help them along that journey. To get back to our point of God being extravagant, that's why we will often be... In, see, we need to be willing to go out of our way. We need to be willing to plant seeds where it seems like nothing's going to take hold. Because here's the key. We don't have a limited number of seeds. We have an unlimited supply if we're willing to go with Jesus and do those things. But it's not like I've got a little pouch up here in my pocket. Well, I did my three seeds today, so I can coast. I'm good now. Now, again, I I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not talking about uh, becoming obsessive, right? This needs to be naturally supernatural. But I think we've got to get our mindset right. We've got to be thinking this way. And then Jesus will bring up, if you're listening, if you're paying attention, Jesus will bring up the opportunities. All right, we've got one more to cover. Uh, Go ahead and flip, if you would, with me over to Hebrews 11.6. This will also be on the screen, but I pulled this out of the Amplified version uh, because I love the way that it draws out the meaning. Hebrews 11.6, it says, But without faith, bless you, without faith... It is impossible to walk with God and please Him. Notice the emphasis. See, sometimes we hear it's impossible to please God without faith. And we think, well, then He's not pleased because I'm not doing right. No, He's pleased when we're walking in intimate relationship with Him. He's more concerned about who He is to you than what you're doing. Those things come second. The more you look like Jesus, the more you'll do things like Jesus, but we get it backwards. We try to say, Well, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to follow the moral code and and then I'll look more like Jesus and and that'll be good and then, then he'll love me more and he'll be pleased. That actually doesn't involve any faith. Faith says, You know, I know I've walked this way and I've done this and I've not done everything right, but Jesus, I know that you're with me. I know who you created me to be. And I know that you're going to help me walk in line with my calling more than whatever the thing is that I've just done or the thought that I've just thunk. Right? You're saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to believe that what you say about me is true more than the way I feel about me. Is that a hard one? I know it is for me. And and, and let me take that a step further because if you're like me, you do mess up you know, you do slip into to anger over something somebody did or, or you know, what, whatever your, your area of temptation is, and you feel bad, right? And we think that we need to follow that feeling and, oh, now I've got a grovel and, oh, woe is me. The truth of the matter is the simple fact that you feel bad in the first place is absolute confirmation that you are in touch with God. Because if you were truly in the devil's camp, you wouldn't care. The fact that your conscience and your heart tugs on you and says, that didn't feel right, I'm not proud of that, is a sure sign that you are trying to follow the kingdom of God. And so you can actually come to your good and loving Father and, and, and be, and just like we said, we don't have to fake it. Jesus, you know, I did that, and I'm not proud of it. But I thank you that that's not actually who you made me to be. I'm sorry that I stepped out of line of who you created me to be. And, and I, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. But I thank you, Jesus, because I know that I don't have to be a slave to that. I don't have to stay in that. I know that you have given me grace today to be able to walk away from that activity and follow you. You see the, you see the, the flip there? How you, you, you're, you're coming to Jesus and saying, I actually need your grace. I need faith to be able to walk with you. And that's what he's most pleased with. Is it, it, can, can, I, can I redefine sin for you? Uh, we've done this once before. Sin is not just, I did something that breaks the moral code. That's how most of us think of it. You know, something outside of God's law or outside of God's design. No, the root of sin is that I, I broke the relationship. I acted in some way that it actually, and that's usually in a small way. I'm not talking about, you know, just you completely walk. I mean, that, that could be. But I'm saying if you think about it, the things that we would call sin, they cause a sever in that relationship, in that intimacy with Jesus. But he's not standing in judgment for what you did. He's saying, let's mend the relationship. Let's come back. Let's give you the grace and the power and the things that you need to walk a different way, to be more intimately in love with him. Okay? That was a lot extra for the first sentence. Without faith, it's impossible to walk with God and please him, for whoever comes near to God must necessarily, or I would say by necessity, believe that God exists. In other words, you can't come close to somebody if you don't think they exist. But this is the part I want to focus on. He, that he re, believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. The kingdom, and we're going to talk about here for a minute before we wrap up, is full of reward. See, for those of us that have had that mindset that God is just sitting up there with crossed arms you know watching to see you know, I I just know they're going to mess up again and I'm going to have to sin judgment and I'm going to have to correct no see God is actually setting you up for reward and we don't always make the right choice I like to think of it this way we think of the garden and they had they had the two trees to choose between every choice in your life is another set of of two trees you can choose good you can choose bad. But it's not because God is trying to trip you up. It's because he's trying to teach you how to choose the kingdom things and therefore receive. Now, maybe reward is not exactly the, the best word here because we're not talking about, you know, you got an A on your test and so you get a sticker. We're talking about the kind of life that we say we want to lead. We're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. We're talking about peace, love, hope, joy, gentleness, patience, self-control. Are those things that we can do really, really well just by gritting our teeth and learning how to just grind it out and force ourselves to, to feel that way? Or is it fruit from the relationship with Jesus? As I walk more closely with Jesus... He is going to reward me with fruit that actually changes me into more of the person that he designed me to be in the first place. Every choice that you have from the mundane to the major is an opportunity to choose the kingdom and and move closer to that reward. Now, we could contextualize that out into our ultimate reward too, but I don't want you to get tripped up because we're not also not saying that every time you make the wrong choice, well, it's not like the board game. You know, well, you got to go back three spaces and try again. There's always an opportunity to make another choice to, to go the right way. In other words, you, you're never too many wrong choices off of the road to get back. And actually, Jesus has not even left you when you've done that. When you've maybe gone this way and made maybe you've made a whole string of choices. And at some point you stop and realize, ah, oh, I've just made a mess of my life, of this situation, of whatever it is. And in your mind you're thinking, man, it's a long road to get back to where Jesus was trying to take me. And then you realize as you turn around, he's standing right there next to you. He's not counting how many missed steps you've taken. He's standing right next to you with a fresh choice. Okay, but what about now? Can you make this choice? Will you come towards me? Will you let me fill you with my grace? Will you let me forgive you? Will you let me heal you? Because I don't know if you know this, friends. He always wants to. He is ready. He is willing. His heart is set towards you. We know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to help you get by and hold on until you get to heaven? No. Plans for good. Plans to prosper. Plans to have more of the kingdom show up in your life.